Happy Sunday, sinners, and welcome to All Aboard for Hell. Today, it's me, Paul, and joining me are Anne and our dear sweet friend who is never going to hell, Olga. And we're here to discuss something described eloquently by George Carlin in the following way. They call it the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. My beautiful cynics, take it away. Shit, I've never heard that. Yeah, he was right to say it. Good yeah, morning. Yeah, right now it seems like it's only in people's dreams that they could have that. Yeah, yeah. And good morning again to you. So not to be like the gullible one, but I think as long as we let the American dream evolve, it can still be alive. It's just not the same American dream that maybe, you know, fueled the, the waves of the 1880s through the 1920s. Yeah, that period of that in the post-Civil War, immigration was at a, for the time, all-time high. And you had just waves of people coming in, making the country look a little different. And you had, as then, you got a lot of people who were terrified of anything that's not the same, right? And I think back then it was it was a bunch of, uh, uh, hmm, how do I describe these waspy motherfuckers? Well, waspy motherfuckers is pretty good. They still exist, though. Well, back then, the American dream was like having a house with a white picket fence and a family and children, right? And nowadays, you can't really afford all of that. So what is the American dream now, Olga? Just just asking. Uh, Having a studio apartment with (laughs) a dog and, you know... You're also entitled to be child-free, and people shouldn't, you know, be up your ass about it. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that the American dream should be being able to come to the United States um, legally, you know, having the opportunity to not have to break the law and build a better life than you could have ever hoped for in your country of origin due to America being a country that provides opportunities to make an honest living without having to bring bribes to the hiring department, to your manager, and being able to earn an income that supports a lifestyle. Now, is that unreasonable? You can laugh at me. I don't think that's unreasonable, but I will say that for a lot of folks, the honest way is not the way to get any of what you just described. In I, I'm speaking about that coming from Mississippi and Tennessee. And in the South, it might as well be... We talk about the American dream, but what, what I think it would be helpful to clarify that that dream is different depending upon where in the country you are. Because when you look at the United States, you're looking at... Um, I mean, we call them states, right? But they were essentially governed as their own little territories, managed the way they wanted to manage them. And this is still true to degrees. Uh, the actual federal government, right? That that was something that was opposed by a lot of folks originally. But um, regionally, especially in the South, man, to get ahead, you have to know somebody. This, now, I know that's still true everywhere, but there's where you end up in this game depends on where you start. And sure. certainly, certainly your experience of it. I mean, I shouldn't tell you. You know what? Hold on. No. Tell we've already covered some of this, but you have this perspective that is informed by coming here at a very unusual time in global history. Not just the history of the United States, but in the world. There was this thing that was called the Soviet Union, and one day it came swiftly tumbling down. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? I remember that. (laughs) I I don't, Um, but... (laughs) (laughs) But also, I just want to point out, so you're saying that the American experiment of state governance failed? 
In some states, yeah, absolutely. It depends on the state. State governance in Louisiana is the most stupefyingly corrupt thing that you could hope to see, all right? Like, it's third world republic type shit down there. And the confluence of mixing religion and government, like, you see that especially in the southern states, and the result is always bad, always bad. Now, in some places, let's look at New York, right? They're doing pretty fucking okay. New Hampshire? If it's got the word new in it, it seems to be doing all right, with the notable exception of New Mexico. Stay the fuck out, but... No. <laughs> um, but no, like, depending upon the mentality of the people within the state, you could be living... You might as well be living in a different country. I mean, if you go to Alabama... It's like you're going back in time like 50 years. The poverty, the degradation of society, the, the infrastructure falling apart, ignorance, rampant. I mean, honestly, it, it, it's terrifying. So I, I mentioned this because it is not equal everywhere in the country. And in some places, you are way likelier to flourish than others. Why do you think I moved to Philadelphia? Uh, to spend more time with Anne. Yeah, with all of us. Come on. And then True. she went and moved to another state. Yeah, <laughs> exactly the kind of state I'm fucking describing. Goddamn Georgia. Barely See, holding on blue. No, well, it's you okay. know what? I'm I'm in the um, the blue section at least. Uh, come on, I'm near. I'm right next to Atlanta, so. But yeah. I understand everything that you're saying because there are parts of Georgia that I've driven through that I'm just like, what? And the you fuck? keep driving through <laughs> very quickly. I need gas. No, I can make it to the next one. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I ain't dying here today. Nuh-uh. Sweetie, you got a flat. The rims will be fine. Like, seriously, up. seriously, outside of my um my development that I that I live in, there is a big you know, plot of land, and it looks like a haunted house, or it could be a old plantation house. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah, go in the yard. So many fucking people died there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, what the? No thanks. What the hell is this? So I totally get it. I get what you're saying. Good. Now, as I'm bitching about the country that's been so good to me, <laughs> I have to say, I came to Philly for exactly the same reasons as people came across the ocean for it. Well, maybe more for New York and, than Philadelphia, but whatever. There was opportunity. And it's taken a very long time, but it has paid off for me. But I, I view that against the backdrop of so many of my peers and contemporaries Hold on. Oh, that's what that was. I, I kept hearing a dinging going off and sent us a picture. Yeah, I was sending you a picture of that house that I was describing. And <laughs> it's literally as soon as I get out of my development, which I'm like two houses from that the is exit, straight up from Django Unchained Candyland. I'm sorry, but they do shut down the street and they film horror movies here. Leonardo DiCaprio, when he wasn't busy fucking his too young for him girlfriend was depicting a slave owner in that house cut his hand and actually rubbed blood on Kerry Washington's face. That, that, that was true. He actually did do that. Jeez. Okay. I want my fucking Oscar. I'm sorry. But he didn't get it for that movie. He got it for The Revenant, right? Yeah. Oh, that was a really good one, though. For you the bear one, right? You know, just having some butt yeah. sex with the bear. Well, I, uh, if anything... That bear was fucking him. Like, it left him alone, and then he took another shot, and that bear said, you motherfucker. And, I, like, even though I know it's a movie, that bear mauling scene was so goddamn visceral, I felt my stomach drop like a hot rock right to the bottom of my guts. I was like, Jesus Christ. <sighs> oh, fuck, I'm never going to the woods again. Fuck this. I was afraid of Jaws for nothing. <laughs> they, they need water. No, 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 you gotta be scared of bears. Come on. <laughs> And be scared of deer too if you ever see them shed their horns it's fucking terrifying nope no thank you oh uh, I, nope sorry did you guys hear about the they get another visitor to a national park that tried to get a little close to the wildlife and got trampled by a moose what yes what the hell trampled these goddamn zoomers 
Okay. Um, like, got it. If you see, like, you're not in a Disney movie, you're not a Disney princess. For the love of God, if you see wildlife, take a picture and move. And move the fuck on. away. Yep. Uh, God, wait, what park was that? Um, oh, it's actually uh, Cracks Trail in Colorado. I've never heard of it, but Colorado, that doesn't surprise me. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Do you, have either of you actually seen a moose up close? No, and I yes, have no intentions huge. of it. Okay. They are and bigger than you think. <laughs> they do. They are not like deer sized. Okay. They are fucking huge. If you like it, they're taller than I am. Their shoulders come up above me. They are big fucking animals, right? Mm-hmm. It's not hard to be taller than I am, but I mean, they are gigantic. And yeah, you, no, thank you. I will pass. I've seen, hard pass. I, I've seen a guy drop one. Well, I haven't seen it in life, but, uh, I saw a guy, uh, he showed me a video where he was bow hunting, right? And he dropped that fucking moose. That arrow <laughs> sailed clean through it. And it dropped in like a minute. And then the next thing is, he said, hold the camera. And he walks over. He's taller than me. And he looks like a fucking child next to this goddamn thing. Oh, God. No, thank you. Nope. So, yeah, that was not only a needless death. It was a painful death. That, there's no fucking way. And that explains why we don't have moose meat for dinner. One of the reasons, yes. Yeah, they're tough fuckers. We're not trying to kill you. Sorry, go ahead. Live, live your life. We're fine. Cows never oh get us this much trouble. <laughs> so, of course, I wanted to send you guys a picture of, you know, I googled moose compared to an adult man. I don't know why, but there's actually an image of a, a moose, uh, <clears throat> an average-sized moose inside a kitchen. Like, why? <laughs> I don't want to. Well, we have to see it now. I mean, look, if there was a moose that walked into my house and was just hanging out in my kitchen, that's kind of your house now. That's <laughs> yes. yours. I'm, yeah, no, I'm good. Oh, boy. So the USA Today article you sent me, why did he touch the moose? Why did he do that? Because what, what the that's not even the biggest animal. moose I've ever seen. That's a small yes, one. He was. He was so cute. Oh my god! Why would you depict a moose in a kitchen? Like, what was the point in that? <laughs> Look, if you're in Canada, you gotta know some shit, okay? <laughs> What's true? That is so fucking true. Fuck my life. So yeah, um, Paul, I don't want to make you feel inferior because to mm-hmm. me, you're of course the epitome of what a man should be. But it's Thank saying you. that the average moose is six two. Not, Fuck them! God damn it! To the shoulders, they're still ahead in the in the antlers. <laughs> well, you weren't kidding when they said it's bigger than you. You know what? <sighs> I am a short king, and I will say this to anyone: just get me a step ladder so I can say it face to face. That's all right. Um, Shit. Okay, we're oh. already on a tangent. We're not 10 minutes in. Jeez. Okay, anyway. You know what? Would you expect anything less? No, not really. <laughs> uh, the, my, my, I'm just making the observation that, you know, um, Olga, your uh, experience seems like typical of what people would say for the American dream. And it came true for you. And I'm grateful it did because it brought you eventually to me. Your presence mm-hmm. in my life has only made it a better one. And I am thankful. Uh-huh. So that... Go ahead, I was just going to say, I, I may be an immigrant, but I don't have the same story as Olga. Um, yeah, I'm from the Philippines. I was born there. However, I had immigrated to New Zealand first. So immigrating from New Zealand to America, it's a whole different thing because it's a first world country to another first world country. And I didn't get the same vibe as Olga did where everything is so much better and I'm grateful to be here kind of thing. I have a lot of moments where I'm, where I'm like, I wish we didn't move because maybe things would have been different. So that's that's just okay. me. Come on, free fucking healthcare for fuck's sake! I mean, the nature alone. Exactly. Seriously. And like, the ability to, to travel to any Asian country with probably like a two-hour flight. Uh huh. It, no, it wasn't. I mean, it took us like mm-hmm. 12 hours to get to the Philippines, but... Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. Your geography is a little bit off there. <laughs> it was three hours to fly to Australia. And that, de- that was like the closest part of Australia, just so you know. But to go to any like 
island like Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, you know, that was pretty close. No. Hmm. I will say, like, I've been enamored of New Zealand since I was a kid because I saw the Lord of the Rings films. And as it turns out, it's like New Zealand has some pretty strict requirements regarding work visas and citizenships. It's, mm -hmm. it's way harder to get into New Zealand than it is to get into the States. It and is. you mentioned, uh, you know, come here legally. And I, I emphasize this now. Most people who come here do so via proper channels. What we have... Um, Less so uh, these days. Uh, the, the nomenclature changes depending upon the audience you talk about. Some people say illegal immigrants. Some people will say undocumented. It used to be that you could come to this country with nothing but the change in your pocket and a destination. The formal paperwork, it didn't exist. That, that period that you were talking about, like from the 1880s to the 1920s, the census was very fucking loose. It basically only gave a shit about people who had been there for a while. And if you were newcomers, eh, fuck them. That's, that's how they treated it in terms of keeping records. Well, maybe, am I, am I bullshitting? Am I wrong? I feel like well, I'm going to be corrected by someone. So I'll be able to tell you for sure, because at the end of the month, we have tickets to visit um, Ellis Island and go all the way up to the crown of Lady Liberty. So I'll definitely oh, nice. oh. on that. But if I remember eighth grade correctly, eighth grade history, all they really needed was a ticket to get here. And then once at Ellis Island, they were checked for like lice and diseases. And, you know, and once you were cleared, you were good to go and make a life. Yeah. In the United States. OK, so that does scan with uh, what I was thinking. OK, so the requirements were basically show up. <laughs> um, it's a little more complicated these days because it's not nearly as hard to get here. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like when, when we're talking about immigration specifically people, we're talking about what's happening on the Southern border because there's a lot of people from, uh, Latin America trying to get up here and the, the, the tenor of the conversation, it again changes depending upon where you're at. A lot of people are like, dude, these folks just want to come here and work. Let's make it easy for them. Like, mm -hmm. There's there's a clip actually of of all people Ronald Reagan saying, "Look, they're already here. You're concerned they're going to take advantage of welfare. They can't do that because they're not citizens. Let them come here, work, and pay taxes, and join." Like right. that Ronald Reagan, that fucking commie. <laughs> <laughs> he was I, saying that, and I mean, I'm sorry, like, I think I all, you, sorry. all the all the people that are going on about they're stealing our jobs. They're out there working in the fields and doing the jobs that you don't want. I just, I'm, I don't know. I have no words. Did you really want to pick the cotton? I don't think so. I'm just well, saying. More than just that, you do see a lot of people uh, who are, are in construction, right? Like half the, yeah. the crew is Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, it's like... Uh, we have these people who come and genuinely do want to pursue exactly that, the American dream. Because for them, compared to where they are coming from, fucking uh, Venezuela or some shithole like that, man, it, it, it's, it's a world of difference. Mm -hmm. No, it, it absolutely is. Because I think just from my perspective, it went the other way. Because my dad had... Yeah. You know, a really nice job in New Zealand. He got there because they, you know, they petitioned him and hired him and moved him from the Philippines. So he was kind of like moved his way up. He was like a director over there. We had a good life. And then we moved to America and he didn't have the same job or, you know, salary as he did. You know what I'm saying? So everything changed for us, at least. So it for didn't you, get, it was a yeah. step down. It but was, I'm more yeah. interested in Olga. Tell us what it was like to come here. Um. Well, I will we covered tell it a you little that, bit, but I, I would like for you to just just elaborate. Well, there was no street paved with gold. I was very disappointed. <laughs> they did not just greet me at the airport with tickets to Disney World again. A big disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> no, but so. I think what made my experience a little bit a little bit different is, and it's going to touch on a couple of points that all immigrants share. So we came here as refugees. Thank you to the American people 
and to the American government that granted um, Jews of the Soviet Union refugee status. Um, my mom did not want to go because to her, she didn't want to leave her homeland and everything that she knew, understanding that a teacher with, who doesn't speak English you know, could never be a teacher here. But, um, you know, her husband kind of proved the point that, hey, if you want to give, you know, Olga a better life, then it's not going to be here in a country emerging from communism, socialism, whatever, however accurate you want to be. So she decided to leave everything behind to give me a better life, for which I'm, of course, grateful. Um, you know, and we got here. And again, everything that I knew about America was from the limited um, movies and TV shows that we got to watch there. And, you know, also keep in mind that in order to keep the population in check, um, uh, the Soviet government, the only movies we got to see were the action movies, you know, because look how dangerous America is. You guys want to go there. Look at what the cops there are dealing with. Look at these neighborhoods. That you, you know, so it's not like we got to see the Oscar winners of the of the America. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm pretty sure, like, my first American movie that I saw was, um, like, Throw Mom Off a Train and Lock Up, which, you know, led to my first Hollywood crush being Sylvester Stallone, by the way. Good taste. Sliced alone. There's nothing wrong with that. No, no. (laughs) But just letting you know what the, you know. um, But, you know, we used to watch, like, Disney parades. Um, So that stuff kind of, so, of course, you land in Northeast Philadelphia. And Disney is a long way away, a long way away. Yeah. And the other thing is that, again, I was still coming here with a head full of Soviet propaganda. So I legitimately thought that I was going to start going to school here and I would spend all my recess with kids gather around me wanting to learn Russian. <laughs> right? I mean, like, it's funny now. <laughs> but uh, so you land here and you go to school and you realize that First of all, nobody gives a shit. Um, and uh-huh. second of all, <laughs> and second of all, you learn that the kids that came here before you have already been getting picked on because their clothes, their hair, their shoes, everything makes them a target for uh, teasing or bullying, as you know we now say in 2023. And they're very happy to have somebody newer come because now the spotlight shifts to them and they can kind of fade into the background and American and be more Americanized. And not be the center of attention. And they also join in too and start bullying you. Yep. The new person. Yep. So. Pretty much. And it's it's funny because I remember, you know, um, you know, fifth grade at a Farrell Middle School, it you know, nobody that actually spoke Russian wanted to help me. It was more so there was a, a young girl, you know, a classmate of mine, and I remember her her day because she always had her um her uh, Muslim headscarf and her dress match. And she wore like these bright teal and you know, fuchsia colored dresses. She was the one that taught me where to get lunch. She was the one that kind of helped me. And the only time that anyone who actually, you know, uh, was also a Soviet immigrant helped me was when the teacher said, no, you need to translate for Olga. Um, you know, so you kind of land in a country and you realize that you can't even depend on who you thought you'd be able to count on. Um, the only value that I held for them, and this is also just, and let me know if you feel this. Um, so as the Soviet Union collapsed, there was a, a like a, a, a flood of Mexican and Brazilian soap operas, telenovelas that flooded the screens. And because we came in 93, there was still no internet. Um, everybody was obsessed with these telenovelas, but there's no way to continue watching them once you came to the U.S. So it was literally, you know, oh, I came six months ago. What happened in this telenovela? What happened in that telenovela? And your value was in how detailed your synopsis of what happened in this telenovela was for the last six months. And once they were all set up, you're good. You can go and pound sand for all they can. Jeez. (laughs) You know, I, I will say it was a little bit different because Filipinos... When they meet other Filipinos who either are fresh off the boat or just the fact that they're Filipino, they all band together. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh my God, we found another one. Yay, let's all be besties kind of thing. But it's it's kind of like a clicky group. And if you don't fit in with them, you kind of get excommunicated. And I didn't quite fit in with the Filipinos that I met, which I didn't meet them until college. 
And they kicked me out, so. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, is, is that because you weren't, you had, you felt more that you were from New Zealand or because you didn't want to kind of do the same things that they were doing? Well, I wasn't Filipino enough for them. I wasn't um, conservative enough. I was considered a, what they called me, a BI, which is a bad influence. <laughs> mm. Because I was a smoker. I would have drinks. I had boyfriends. I mean, yeah, I didn't follow the old school. You need to do a courtship for one year where you have um, someone supervising your dates. And all you could do is hold hands. And even if you held hands, they'd tell you to stop kind of courtship mm. I'm, I'm there on the college campus like oh this guy is cute let me make out with him wow now did you ever have like i know your mom i'm gonna get you i took her for doing this i'm sorry i didn't hear you you faded out oh do you hear me now yes okay saying so now, did you ever have anybody where my aunt knows your mom and i'm gonna tell her what you did yes all the fucking time Oh, all the fucking time. I I remember I would, I wasn't allowed to date as I until I brought my husband home. Um, so <laughs> yeah, until I brought him home. I need you to sit and really think about that sentence. I wasn't allowed to date until I brought my husband home. This this is America. You can do a lot. That sentence can be taken in so many different ways. Anyway, enjoy your polycule. I'm just Continue. saying, I, I wasn't given permission to date, so I spent a lot of time dating behind my parents' backs. And my mom worked with a lot of Filipinos, and if they saw me holding the hand of some other guy, I was like, fuck, I got caught, kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? But then the other, the flip side to that was, though I wasn't allowed to date while I was dating Rich in the beginning stages, had never brought him home yet because I told him, once you're brought home, that's it. My mother was trying to set me up with 30-year-old men. And you were how old? 18. No. No, yes. thank you. Because, hold on, hold on. Because they were already established. They had, yes. they were, they had good jobs. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The value's already there. <laughs> yes. See, Olga understands these guys were like nurses or people who worked in the office that had already established their career in their 30s. And I was an 18-year-old that was forced to go on dates with these guys while I was still dating Rich. And Rich knew. And I said, until I bring you home, I can't say no. And until you're ready to meet my family, which I had warned him what it would be like, I'm like, I'm going to have to do this. And he, he knew that I would go out on dates with 30-year-old men. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what to say, except that that's, you know what? I see a lot of that, the big age gaps in, in Southern cultures as well. And I think a lot of it is because like, yo, these young women want dudes who can take care of them. And also mm -hmm. these old dudes want young women that they can control. <laughs> it's not healthy at all. Holy shit. Right. And it, it just kind of blew my mind because it's not like you were, you guys were prepping me to be a stay-at-home mom. That was never, like my sister was prepped to be a stay-at-home mom, but I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I was, they're like, you're going to go rule the world one day and, you know, be, do great things, right? But still, they treated me like that as far as men, like finding me a compatible mate. That's so fucking weird. You know who I wish we had on this episode to discuss yet more of this, right? Ramina or Nicole? No, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> Linda. Linda, Linda will. She, she would not want to be a part of this. She, she's, she's uncomfortable being on microphone. She doesn't oh, like right. being the center of attention at all. So it, our relationship works out great. She's like, oh no, there's people. Go do your thing, and I'm just like, <laughs> you bet your ass, I will. See, that's perfect. Uh, so, but, um, just. Just as a tangent to expectations, uh -huh. I, I just want to touch on this. And, you know, I think that with um, Anne being expected to take over the world, which, hey, look, I'm on board with, you know, there's a couple of things that I'm going to keep in my house and not tell the overlords. But overall, we <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I think the other thing that um, and I'm not sure how much of it is immigration versus just the world changing so fast. But one thing that happened with me is you're kind of caught between do I do what my parents want me to do 
or and trust that they you know with their experience they know or do i do what i think sounds like a better idea based on what i'm seeing you know in the context of that is my mom truly thought that what you need to succeed is get a job that has job security what's always going to be around teachers engineers doctors like right those are the careers that have longevity in society and then you just work hard and you wait to be recognized and then that's how you move up whereas you know and to a certain degree i did that um not so much you know teacher doctor or engineer because i'm not that smart but you know the the assumption was do well in school get a job do well and you'll just be recognized by the higher-ups and that's how you move up and now looking back i kind of really wish i had the the brain capacity to you know do my own research and look kind of past the path that has been proven and tread by so many towards hey you know what are what are the growing fields in the next 10 20 years what are my strengths can i tap into a career that plays to my strengths as opposed to just oh well surely you'll be fine here um so i kind of i'm wondering and if you know and even paul with with your parents was uh-huh. there the assumption that don't try to pave your own way you're not better or different from everybody else just do what's worked for millions of others before you and you'll be fine only to realize 10 20 years down the road uh, years down the road oh fuck i really wish i had been more of a risk taker and more in charge of my own career and my own choices so oh boy I, I will tell you, I was born and bred to do something in the medical field. I was supposed to be a doctor, I was supposed to be a nurse, a pharmacist, something like that. I initially went to college to be a nursing major with the intent of you know, going back and becoming a doctor. And after three years of nursing school, I told them to fuck off because I didn't want to be a nurse. I didn't want to be a doctor. So... That They already had my path laid out for me, and I didn't want any of it. Because there's this stereotype that Filipinos are always in the medical field, whether they're a nurse or a doctor of, of some sort. And my father always wanted to be a doctor, but he grew up poor and he couldn't afford college for that. So one of his children was going to follow his dream for him, and I was the one chosen. Man. So yeah, I, I said fuck no. I told him to fuck off. They cut me off financially, and here we are. Yeah, I, I I don't have that dramatic of a a uh, story. So my dad is probably in, in so much as I have any start, my dad is my start. Um, many years ago, yes, you he, came from his ball sacks. Well, yes, true, true. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure my mom had something to do with it as well. But but you literally uh, came from his ball sack, and he it went yes, and we mom. understand reproduction. Thank you. Let me get on with my story. <laughs> Good lord. So there I was in my dad's nutsack. No, <laughs> um, I remember very early on in my uh, young adult life, my dad gave me some job advice and it was just this. He said, show up, don't be an asshole, work hard, you'll get ahead. And you did, you did three out of four. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there you go. No, um, I can say that it, it did not always work out that way, but, um, for most of my adult life, I worked in a particular industry. It's the industry we all worked in, right? Casinos. Mm-hmm. And if I had known then what I know now, I might not have even bothered because, my God, I was deeply undervalued at work for a long time. Well, undervalued financially. People appreciated that I was there. Um, but I no, think that's it, everyone's story for the most part. Until you learn your worth, you're going to be undervalued because people will take advantage of you. Uh, it really is, though. Now, myself, I um, I took the equivalency uh, early to try to get out of school and into college, right? Because I I didn't fit in at all with my peers. I didn't hate minorities. I didn't hate gays. I wasn't religious. So I, I was surrounded by people I just did not fit in with. So I was like, fuck this shit. I'm going to take this. And incidentally, uh, past everything in the 95th percentile with the exception of math. So I was like, eh, well, fuck it. Okay. I, I guess I'll be a B student. It's okay. <laughs> um, but the trajectory of my, I know my academic aspirations that, that got 
that got flatlined by a fucking hurricane. You might have heard about it. Katrina, 2005 mm -hmm. in yes. August. That thing made landfall. My dad had just taken a job in Biloxi, Mississippi. We were supposed to have moved out there, but we we didn't get a U-Haul in time, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm grateful because that that we survived. If we had been there, oh, oh, we would definitely have gotten killed. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, from that point, it became, well, maybe I'll delay college by a year and another year. And by the third year, I was like, I guess this just isn't happening. So, yeah, I, I just I made it by by um, putting my efforts toward certain industries. Like I started out in the kitchens. You all know how dangerous I am in a kitchen. I, I can walk in any kitchen anywhere on Earth and come out with something delicious. But I was too slow. I did uh -huh. that, went to the warehouse because I could type fast. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm scatterbrained, but give me a system to organize. And I can get shit done. And from there, I started bullshitting with the IT crew who found out I was into computers. They let me step in as a level one. And I've been doing that ever since. And uh, hopefully before the year's out, I can get a couple of Azure certs and really begin my I'm working from anywhere lifestyle. So it took me until I was almost 40 years old. But for me, finally, this American dream seems to be happening. Now that I've said that, I'm probably going to get hit by a bus. <laughs> Maybe. Let me but, go um, I mean, drive a bus. Paul, hold on. Paul, hold on. Let's hear it. Getting a nice payout from a private corporation is another type of American dream. That is true. So you, yeah. you go get hit by that bus. Yes. Bring it on, SEPTA. Y'all ain't shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going oh to fuck God. that Christmas trolley right the hell up. <laughs> but you know what? There was one thing that my father ingrained in me growing up as far as like... um life lessons and you know it had to do with careers and how i live my life and how i move up and everything and it was that life is like a game of chess you need to be 10 steps ahead so i've always lived that way i'm always you know this paul with with this podcast i'm always like so many episodes Oh, so God, many episodes yes. ahead. I'm so organized. I'm like oh my god next year let's do this or whatever because i'm always thinking future just because he always ingrained that into, into me. So I do that with everything in my life. And sometimes I have to step back because I get anxiety over the future. So shit that hasn't anxiety. happened yet. Anxiety. Anxiety and sometimes depression. <laughs> Depending on what I think is going to happen. existential despair. Oh, I look damn. at tomorrow and I th no, actually, like, uh, the, man, I'm glad that you have that kind of mindset because for a long time, I went to bed not minding if I didn't wake up. It was some rough years. And then I mean, the pandemic yeah. happened, and I was like, well, fuck it. It's over. <laughs> oh. But you still put on that mask, and you're here today, and you got vaccinated. I, you know what? I, I was like, so talking about the future, I always panic about the future. Or not panic. That's not the word. Panic means you can't do anything. I anticipate things going wrong. And insofar as I have had any success in life, I, I attribute this to... The fact that I know things can be good now and terrible tomorrow, how are they going to break? I, I, I came up with the whole system. So you're a Jew. So you're a uh, Jew. <laughs> I oh, always damn. very much got along with Jewish folk. I don't know why. I Like, literally, um, at, at work, someone told me Shana Tova, and I was like, uh, Shana Tova, I'm, mm -hmm. I, I don't You're like, God bless I you. I, I'm <laughs> like, okay. That means Happy New Year, basically. But, um, yeah, uh, that that kind of practical cynicism that does appeal to me. Uh, I I look at a thing and I think, what do I need and how can I lose it? Like if I had a car, what does it need to work and how can it break? So meditating on disaster is something that became second nature to me, and because of that, whenever anything went wrong, I'm usually the person that people have gone to in my family to help make things right. Not necessarily fair, but, you know, life isn't fair sometimes. You just got to roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, no, being... Great. Now, Anne, are you the oldest daughter? I, I'm the youngest. All right, because the way you speak, it definitely sounds like the older, or at least the only child responsibilities. Because, you know, yeah. you, learn you learn English first. You're just... You're the built-in, automatic little translator. And uh, it doesn't matter if what you're asked to translate is way above your kitty pay grade. 
Oh you my speak God. English, you're going to handle this. <laughs> no, 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 my sister was too busy uh, fucking her boyfriend, so I, uh, you know... <laughs> Gotcha. My brother was wow. too busy. Think my my dad had a lot of conversations with my brother. Use think with this head, not the head down there, because he was too busy <laughs> fucking his girlfriends, and yes, multiple girlfriends. That's what I said. Uh, so then, what happened with me was all the shit that my brothers and my brother and sister fucked up on in life. They made sure I couldn't do it. So they were super strict with me. So all the luxuries that they were allowed, my sister was allowed to date, my brother, whatever, but I wasn't. They made sure that I was going to be the successful one because they fucked up with the first two. Damn. I'm telling you. <laughs> so that's why it seems like I'm the oldest, but really I'm not. Um, I went to this religious retreat, Kairos retreat once in high school, and my dad had to write a letter. And at the end of it, you know, he wrote that I'm the torchbearer of the family, and that was a lot to put on my shoulders because I felt that for many, many years. The torchbearer of the family, yep. They yeah. gave up everything to give us a good life. Yep. Yep. So we better not fuck it up. Exactly. And then you're stuck with the obligation. You, like, you feel like you're obligated to help because they have done so much to make sure you can get to where you are. Yep. And I, I have this conversation with my therapist all the time. She's like, you need to set boundaries. I'm like, oh my God, but... boundaries. They don't know. There's no boundaries. Exactly. <laughs> this is the immigrant family. There's no such thing as boundaries. You get summoned, you get fucking summoned. So it's funny that you say that because um, in college, there was a period when I was, you know, in a pretty dark place. I'm like, all right, despite everything I've been taught, I am going to go see the mental health specialist on campus. That's what they're there for. The, you know, the posters finally got through to me and I'm sitting there and, uh, and he's like, oh, well, what's going on? And I said, well, on top of this, this and this, you know, my mom is going through a really hard time right now. And, you know, she's kind of talking to me about it. I just don't know kind of how I can help. And this, you know, therapist at the college health center goes to me well i feel like what would be most helpful is if you just told your mom that she shouldn't feel that she needs to unburden her stressors onto you because you're ultimately her child and i looked at him and i'm like yeah that's not an option in my culture no he's like well perhaps you should like try to bring that into like the family i'm like you know what i don't think you'll be able to help me and i just walked out because if that's the only solution that you can offer me we're done <laughs> that's like a suicide run right there like are you fucking kidding me right my mama I'm gonna kill me you, i'm telling you that like my stress is because i can't help my family you're telling me my way of helping is walking away do you know the only reason I'm here is because my mom worked three jobs to be able to afford a school that encouraged me and prepared me for college, and I'm here while she's still working three full-time jobs? You want me to tell her, nope, sorry, please don't talk to me about how your days are hard? Right. What? And I think that's the difference because a lot of immigrants really feel that. I'm sure, Paul, you probably feel it too, but you really feel it because they moved you to another country, they gave you a better life, and they worked all these hours, were never home, and you were just expected to be grateful for that. You know what and I'm saying? And we are. Yeah. We are. It's just, you know, we, we kind of, we're grateful. We're happy to be here. We understand that they gave up social fabric and, and jobs and language and friends we understand all that but at the same time we yeah. have to be grateful to them live up to certain expectations from mm -hmm. them and then we also have to make sure that we also represent or at least i was we represent our people so really like and it's a stupid example now but um when like I was a teenager and we would go to movies with you know a group of friends, a lot of my friends would buy tickets for one movie and then sneak into the another one. And I never did that because but if we get caught, they're gonna say, you see, we let you refugees into our country and you, you know, you're lying and you're cheating and you're sneaking into movies, you're breaking the law. <laughs> you know, that was kind of my motivation of of not doing anything even slightly remotely legal because I represent refugees, I represent Jews, I represent my family, you know, and my job is to make sure that if you're an American voter and you approved my group of people coming here, 
that you have no regrets about that. No, I absolutely get that, you know. Paul? Well, <laughs> I'm I'm just listening I, I because I, I have to think uh, like, wow. Wow, no wonder they're successful. No, my parents were not <laughs> So to give some some background here. My uh my parents didn't have they didn't go to college. So they really didn't encourage any of us to because hey, we turned out okay, said everyone who never turned out okay. <laughs> No, um, my mom was content just to like work odd jobs and this uh, effectively meant working like restaurant stuff. Uh, she, she always had a very, very easy way with people. And especially when, uh, times were mm, a little more generous than they are now. Like let, let's remember like that the late nineties, early two thousands for all the drama going on the actual amount of money people had was great. Like the actual dollar amount might've been less, but the purchasing power was way more. So you could get a job working for tips and actually be able to make it right. So that's what mm -hmm. mom did. Dad always had more of the administrative side down. He worked for a Baptist Memorial hospital. God, I haven't thought about that in so long. Um, there was a hotel there. He, he parlayed this into working for lodging for casinos and that's what he still does like he he knows how to work people he knows how to uh work the systems that are necessary for all that stuff and you know in, in the family the only one who went was my little sister and i we had really high hopes for her right i was like well i'll be a fucking loser forever let me help the baby get ahead right um she 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 went to delta state she really loved it and i'm glad she got to experience that but uh, as far as expectations and stuff placed on me, honestly, I, I was loosely encouraged to do whatever you want, but without any real clear guideposts on how to get there. I mean, my parents didn't really know much beyond that. I'd like, hey, finish school and go live. That's about it. So, but as for like hearing you to talk about representing people, right? Like I, I, I didn't, that's baggage I never had to deal with. Not once have I ever stopped to had to think about um, how I would be taken as I went into a room, right? It's not a factor for me. And as I get older, I am much more aware of this. So I try not to take that for granted. Um, insofar as there is playing life on easy mode, I'm not going to say it's always been easy, but the difficulty sure as fuck wasn't made harder because the rules were different for me. And I'm aware of that. Yeah, I mean, we I have a phrase for that. It's called American white privilege. Yep. Yes. I was. It's so funny. I was just about to talk about that. It's the and perfect. And Paul, you guys are like on, in sync. So, Anne, I was going to ask you about that because um, my mom at one point had a colleague who was Vietnamese, and you know she was a very blunt woman, and I'm I'm grateful to her because well, first of all, she introduced me to Fa, so that alone, mm -hmm. you know, please give the woman a medal and you know a pension, but. Um, she told my mom, she's like, well, you know, Olga is very lucky. And mom's like, oh, why is that? She goes, because as soon as she learns English, no one's going to ask her, where are you from? Until they hear her name. Mm -hmm. She goes, I can, like, my grandkids will still be being asked, oh, where are you from? Only because they're not going to look white. And so Americans will always assume that they're immigrants. Whereas for you, once Olga grows up, until they hear a foreign name, they will just assume that she's one of them. And I just want to kind of ask if that's something that you, a sentiment that you've also encountered. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I know that no matter where I go, they're going to wonder where I'm from until they hear me speak. Like, just walking down the street. People are going to look at me and be like, oh... That fucking immigrants, which I am an immigrant, but my children will have that too because they look nothing like white people, you know. So I, I, I already know that that's a lesson they're going to have to learn, and I'm trying to ingrain that into them as well. As much as I don't want to, or as much as I hate the fact that I have to, I need to start teaching them that look, you're going to be looked at at a certain way, even though you speak English, they're still going to treat you like you're a fucking immigrant, and you're either going to have to be strong enough to be like yo shut the fuck up <laughs> you know what i'm saying because that's what i eventually did after people started doing that to me I'm like yo i speak better fucking english than you you need to 
get off my fucking dick. So it's, it's tough. And I was always taught that you need to work three times as hard because you, you're a fucking minority. You look like it. And you're a female, too. So, and all I've got are female minority children. <laughs> yeah, I, I done fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> or they could not have even hoped to get a better mother than you. Who's there strong and intelligent go. and uh, the buying power that you hold. I mean, the fact that you spend it on cigarettes and video games is your business. <laughs> hold, hold on, hold on. Okay, so <laughs> I, I'm on board with making fun of the cigarettes. Leave my video games out of this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, I, I would like to stop and take one moment. So um, you're right. White privilege is a thing. But I have to, I have to tell you, if you are living in the circumstances that I was at the time where you didn't know which bill was going to not get paid because you did not have money to pay it, where you open a cabinet and mostly it's empty. You go to the fridge and you realize there's only a handful of things in there. That was the standard of life for a while, especially after that fucking hurricane that took place for years. So I heard people who, who genuinely had good intentions saying that, uh, you know, it's pretty easy. If, you, if you're white in America, it's basically made. And all I could think to myself was, please, where do I cash in this white privilege? Because I need a fucking hand up. For a long time, I had a sense of animosity when I heard it because I'm like, yeah, OK, well, you can validate someone else's lived experience, but not mine. Go fuck yourself. It took me a long time to realize exactly what is meant by that phrase. And. And probably because uh, I was living in the South, I always heard it talked about in very pejorative and negative tones. So it, it, it took me a while to really realize, uh, you know what? Things may have been hard on me, but it wasn't because the system had it out for me. I just had bad fucking luck. So uh, uh, there's probably some folks who will hear that and think of that phrase, white privilege, in a negative way, thinking, bullshit, I wish I had that. Friend, you do. But that doesn't mean your life is easy. It just means that if it's hard, the system isn't making it even worse. Mm -hmm. So I don't. Just, yeah, I don't know how many people truly understand like how much the system and just the way things are set up affects your circumstances. Because I'll be honest, and like you know, when I learned about Appalachia, um, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. I no, was that, that's close. I'm like, you mean there's an entire region in the United States where people just live in poverty, yep. even though they have this beautiful culture and music and historical kind of what? And that, and what's more, I'm like, and people just like go on this trail and take pictures of them. What? Like, that was a huge shock to me. Um, but I think that anytime I see Americans living in poverty, the thought in my mind always goes back several generations. I'm like, wow, their ancestors also came for a better life. And I, and I, and you know, my thought was always like, oh, well, where did that go wrong? Like why mm -hmm. this certainly is not the life that their, you know, great, great grandparents came here for, you know, isn't it a tragedy that their grandparents left everything behind to build a better life. And now their kids are, you know, basically going to food pantries every week. So what, you know, what went wrong? Well, and, you know I, and I'm, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, and 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 then it, and I still think that you know in my head I'm like, oh, it's you know it's a shame, but ultimately I also think that not everyone, even those people that came here, everyone started with with the same mentality, right? Because my mom made it very clear, like not going to college is just not an option. You know that you're not you're not Bill Gates, you're not that creative and that smart. Like you're going to need college. Um, and I think that if you, if your parents or your grandparents kept you more of, well, you need to succeed just by being a good wife, you know, marry well, and that'll be fine. And then the husband that you married, he was taught, you know, well, all you got to do is just work hard, finding those odd jobs. You don't need college. Maybe, you know, how much of that is truly, you know, where are we victims of circumstance? And, you know, truly not everyone has the the capacity to look past their circumstances and, and yearn or look for something better. Well, I think this also has to do with what the old American dream was, because back then that advice was solid. But what happened was 
they didn't transition with it as it moved, you know, because that is not how you get the American dream nowadays. You know what I'm saying? Oh, At some point, not. some point, you know, in the 50s, yeah, you could have a husband who never went to college, but they work a job and they're able to provide for a family of four. Well, you know, the, the circumstances were wildly different then, too. And you had yeah. in uh, when was the GI Bill signed? Let me let me ask Dr. Google. Because, yeah, 1944. So before the Second World War even came to his conclusion, right, um, the framework was in place for people who went to war for this country to come back and have the building blocks for a really fucking good life. And that was, that was, that was college education, unemployment insurance, housing. It, it, Gen it genuinely um, put so many millions of people into homes who otherwise might not have been able to do so. It gave them education that they might have lacked. But even if they didn't have that education, right, in the 50s, you could work a job and still afford a decent life. The disparity in pay between the people running the businesses and the people operating the businesses was not so staggeringly different as it is today. Back then... The 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 top tax bracket was taxed like ninety five percent or something. It was it was huge. You know who did that? Eisenhower, another dirty fucking commie. Right? We have changed things so that in America, if you with the right confluence of circumstances and influence, you can get filthy fucking rich. But it does come at a cost, and the cost is everybody else. It is. In fact, a net zero game. There are going to be losers, but it does not have to always be that way. We're talking about how life was back then, right? Back then, the cost of living was so much lower. You didn't have people buying homes to flip them in 30 years. You had it to keep in the family to give your kids a better start, right? Well, before that, anyway, I, I, I don't know. Um yeah, I, I'm just thinking, you're talking about what the dream used to be. The dream was signed into law. The GI Bill made that happen for so many people. Now, there were millions more who didn't get the benefit of it, even if they were eligible. I mean, there were entire regiments of black soldiers who came back, and all they wanted was to stay in Europe, where they would be treated like people and not like chattel. So, the, it, it, so much of this your perspective on what constitutes this American dream, it is informed by where in the dream you happen to fall. And for many people, it wasn't a dream. It was just lesser degrees of nightmare. My dog just sighed at you. You I'm tell that fat dog that I said. <laughs> How'd you know it was the fat one? Who else is going to sigh? Sorry, I got off on a tangent there. My apologies. I just like I, no, I, I had honestly, to go into it. I had never thought about it from that perspective. And so, that, you know, because we're coming from an immigrant perspective, right? So we see it a little bit differently. Yeah, my, my grandfather drove over Nazis in a tank in France. So this is something that this is something that is in family history to me, right? I think mm -hmm. about what he must have gone through. And the trauma of being one of the few survivors, uh, where to go into family history a little bit, he, he, I didn't, he never told us about it, not the, the grandkids, but I heard him talking with his friends about what happened. And I, I remember him speaking in the most solemn tones about watching his, uh, squad unit platoon. I forget what the word was, but he saw his friends get gunned down and he was part of the crew in the tank that retaliated with a big fucking shell. That's why he lost his hearing. It is loud as fuck inside those things. So, Papaw did some violent shit because he was called to do it and it was necessary to do it, but he still brought back so much. Like, I can only imagine how terrifying it must have been. He was only in his 20s to be assigned this heavy burden you're going to go across the, the ocean to fight people whose language you don't fucking understand. Here's what you understand. Krauts, kill. That's what you get. Vichy, fuck them. So, 
yeah, that 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 was that was what he came back. He came back. He took advantage of the GI Bill. He had a good life after that. I'm sure he also carried with him the heavy burden of war and all its violence. That's also why he had so many kids. Just saying, Pat Ball got busy. I think everyone got busy back then. differently. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, like my grandmother, God rest her soul, when uh, we laid her to rest, we had pictures of her from when she was young. And I was like, oh, oh, that's also why. Damn, no hmm. wonder we're all beautiful. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, heathens, you may be thinking that was a very abrupt end of the episode. And it was, because this conversation actually went on for a whole other hour. And that's going to get uploaded next week. What can I say? We, we like taking up an hour of your time, but more than that just seems flatly inconsiderate. Anyway, the conversation goes on next week, and we hope you'll tune in for it. The intro and outro music is Funky Box Step by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share the love by sharing the show with your friends? Or maybe your enemies? Both. Just share the episode. Thanks.